and welcome to Friends at Dusk, a Christopher Nolan filmography podcast. I'm your co-host, Marshall Doig. And I'm your other co-host, Jake Harris, and we're back. Tonight we're talking all about the Oppenheimer 4K release, the Steelbook edition. Yeah, uh, we, we are back. It's good to be back. I recovered just in time to actually have <laughs> some semblance of a voice. I've been sick for the past week, barely being able to talk. So the trade-off was like, I have a deep, rich radio voice. But if I try to go any higher than this, I'm going to crack and it's gonna be <laughs> crazy. So we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Get a nice little, you... little, little radio, like Rush Limbaugh timber going on there. <laughs> Uh, not the comp I'd prefer to have, but sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, st- strictly speaking, on on the sound of the man's voice, I mean, sure. But uh, please don't associate anything else with me with that. Uh, but how you been, Jake? What have you been doing for the past few months? Oh, I've been doing doing all right. Just got back from a Thanksgiving trip with the family. Um, we've been, you know, usually just. I don't know. Mostly it's just been work and, you know, just, just life. I haven't really been doing much, watching a lot of movies, reading a lot, getting back in touch with Oppenheimer stuff recently. Uh, but, you know, yeah. not, not too much. How about you? Yeah, it's it's life is different. I, I don't know if I even mentioned this on the episodes when we were doing it, but we had to reconstruct our entire kitchen this past summer after some mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. some home issues. And that's finally wrapping up. So that's been... This whole time. I know, I know and, how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dealing with insurance and all that. And my son started mm-hmm. school and yeah. uh, the Rangers, the Texas Rangers are the World Series champions. Mm-hmm. You know, life is pretty good uh, overall at this point. Can't really complain too much. And then I got to watch Oppenheimer for a second time with uh, getting the 4K release and got to show it to Haley for the first time. And oh man, just watching the movie itself for the second time just confirmed everything that I had remembered about and that we were talking about it. So it was a good time. And then got to dive into the special features. But yeah, but before that, we still have a format. (laughs) What are we doing first? We do. We do. Uh, We don't really have uh, neither one of us really have any Nolan related or Nolan adjacent news items. Uh, He has done some, uh, he did a lot of promo for it, did some interviews uh, back when the writers and SAG after strikes were happening. Um, I believe he mentioned like whether or not he would work with Warner Brothers again, uh, talked about his relationship with Universal and all that fun stuff, um, but not really anything big that like we hadn't really heard before, uh, typically. Um, and then now I think... He has done a little bit more promotion of the movie itself, but we haven't really seen anything from any of the actors, uh, even though both strikes are over now. Thanks. But uh, I'm sure that like once Oscar season announcements roll around and the nominations get announced, we'll start to see more uh, people making the rounds on late night shows and starting to promote things. Personally, I'm very excited for the Killian Murphy hot ones thing. Whenever that happens, that'll be great. Uh, <laughs> oh, I might, I might actually, actually have to check that out for once. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh man, what if like, what if Nolan goes on hot ones? That'd be really funny. He probably oh, would just man. like he he probably just sit there like take the hottest wing and just be like, yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's totally nonchalant he's a British, about it. He's a British guy, you know. Like they're the British palate. I don't know. We'll, yeah. We'd have to see yeah. what. Yeah. Which if you got the American and the British. Uh, <laughs> tastes from his parents 
Um, but you know, all this just goes to show like, you know, you need people to promote your, your movie and your, your stuff. And even though, uh, that hasn't really been on, um, people really didn't think that that was a big deal while these things were going on. Like just, I mean, look at clips of, uh, Iman Vellani from the Marvels, uh, on late night shows talking about promoting that movie, even though that movie hasn't really done really well. I've seen like so many clips of her just talking to like Jimmy Kimmel about stuff that has been making around. So hopefully we will get some Oppenheimer stuff like that, uh, coming up here soon. Um, here, here. but other than that, no, no big news other than the fact that this, uh, is now out on physical media uh, starting on November 21st. Yeah. Uh, and one other thing before we get to that, um, what have we been doing otherwise media-wise outside of this? Um, we're just going to pick up just a couple things yeah. since it's been months, so we could do quite literally like anything and everything, but we're going to try and trim it down here. Yeah. Um, I've... Like I said, I've been reading a lot, been watching a lot of stuff, a lot of TV, a lot of movies. Uh, but one of the things that I um, haven't really seen a lot of people talking about uh, that I think more people should see uh, is actually William Friedkin's last film. He uh, he directed Sorcerer. He directed The Exorcist, uh, French Connection, a bunch of stuff from the 70s uh, and was also known for just like truly taking no shit. Like if he was if he thought you were ate up, he was going to tell you, uh, he had many, many opinions on films. Also famously shot a gun, uh, on the exorcist set to get people's reactions. So not a perfect person, but very uh, interesting, interesting figure, uh, in Hollywood. Uh, but he recently, he died, uh, not too long ago, but before, or he had one film uh, that he directed, uh, get released, uh, posthumously. And that was a, remake of the Kane mutiny court martial which is a um it is a movie that is an adaptation of a play that was in itself an adaptation of a world war ii era novel about a court martial trial from a mutiny on a ship where a young lieutenant uh and some of the other uh i guess midshipmen i don't know my dad was in the army not the navy um <laughs> but some of the other people uh, start a mutiny after they think that their captain is no longer fit to command because they said he was insane. And you don't actually see like the, the storm or anything that sets all of this in motion. The whole thing literally is just a court martial. It is a courtroom drama. So it's just a bunch of men in a room talking and it is very much shot like a play. Like it almost looks like a made for TV movie like very economical camera moves, very uh, sparse. Uh, there's hardly any score. Uh, there's like some songs toward the end of the movie, but that's it. It's all just like a bunch of dudes in a room yelling and talking at each other. Uh, and it is absolutely fantastic. You got Kiefer Sutherland as the captain in question. Uh, and then you've got the late Lance Reddick as one of the admirals who is on the board hearing this court martial. Um, Jake Lacey from, uh, White Lotus is one of the people who, uh, started the mutiny. Um, and then also, um, oh, what's his name? It's Bill Pullman's son. I think Lawrence Pullman. Uh, he was in Bad Times at the El Royale and he was in Top Gun Maverick. Uh, but he is also uh, a key part in this mutiny thing. And it's just, it's so good because it's one of those things where almost like a 12 angry men thing where like you're perception of what happened 
it changes based on who's talking because like you weren't there. So you're just going off. You are the jury. You know, the viewer is the person kind of deciding what's going on. Right. Oh, and Jason Clark's in this. How could I forget Oppenheimer? Oh, of course. Great, great uh, year for Jason Clark cross-examining people because he gets, (laughs) he gets his, he gets his punches in, in this movie for sure. Um, And uh, it, it, throughout the whole thing you're just like wow no one really makes like good courtroom dramas anymore you know and then once you get to the end uh with jason clark uh kind of making a statement about everything it kind of like reads as william Friedkin, like i kind of know i'm on my way out this is what i want to say about you know my generation the next generation coming up and it's very interesting a really interesting artifact in addition to being a a really interesting movie and that's available on uh, Showtime, which I think since I watched it has now folded into Paramount Plus with Showtime is what it's called. So it's a big we're, we're all headed toward one big streaming conglomerate anyway. I've ranted about that before, but uh, <laughs> you can find that on Paramount slash Showtime. Uh, wild to me that that is like where William Friedkin's last movie lives permanently now. <laughs> um, but it's a if you have that streaming service. I would even say it's good to just like get a free trial and watch it and see if you like it. But uh, that was the biggest thing that I have seen in the last few months that has stuck out to me the most. Right. Yeah. From the way you were describing it before you mentioned it yourself, I was like, you're giving me some big 12 angry men vibes here, which I, I love mm-hmm. that movie. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to put that on the watch list. Uh, but for me, I singled out not a movie or a TV show, but a 20,000 Hertz episode, the podcast 20,000 Hertz, one of my favorites. And in, oh, what, uh, what was the date? Was it in September? Anyway, uh, around about August or September, they released an episode called Subtitles On. And it was talking about how in recent years, how dialogue in TV and movies has gotten harder to understand. And everyone is always complaining about it. And it has. I'm gonna say yeah. <laughs> and a, a case study that they one of the examples they pulled out was Christopher Nolan. And I was really excited for this episode because I knew it was coming at some point this year in the pipeline, because near the beginning of this year, I ahead of when we got to the dark Knight rises for our podcast uh since that was kind of the the movie where everyone started going like well why can't you hear anything in christopher nolan's movies i contacted Twenty Thousand hertz and asked if the host dallas taylor or anybody affiliated with them would have time to come on and talk to us about that maybe their thoughts or anything and they said no sorry like it sounds great but dallas is booked up he's a he's a really busy guy because he's really cool and does such great work with the the podcast and and all of his other work and they said it's like sorry can't can't help you out but also we actually happen to have an episode like addressing this or talking about this in the pipeline <laughs> and i was each week i was like is it gonna be this one's gonna be this one i was hoping we could talk about it during the uh, original run for us but it didn't work out but that episode finally came out and they talk about it and they talk about nolan and uh some of his methods and uh, his justification for kind of layering things together to try and make a soundscape that's more akin to what you would hear in real life. And um, uh, it was just fun. And it was cool to hear that kind of like, I was like in the know and then I finally got to hear it. So that was fun. So well done 20,000 Hertz. And thanks for, thanks for including that. 
in your episode on on subtitles and, and dialogue nice yeah i enjoyed that one a lot when i listened to it uh, a few weeks ago so go check that one out guys yeah we'll link that one in the show notes uh and the last thing i think we'll mention before we shuffle on to the oppenheimer special features is spot like literally today spotify wrapped dropped yeah for everybody and we we're able to take a look at it and i remember we were able to talk about ours last year on one of our episodes and uh for me as like before i even got to the part of it that told me i was like i know i'm gonna be in the fraction of a percentage for the hans zimmer this year am i not yes and i was <laughs> i am in the top 0.1 percent of hans zimmer fans uh <laughs> i spent 4783 minutes listening to hans zimmer music Damn. and most of that was <laughs> yeah most of that was all the nolan stuff uh so yeah uh and then my top five artists the running out the top five was ludwig Gorenson. so um yeah, and yeah, yeah in between number two daniel pemberton of the, the most recently spider-verse uh howard shore number three lord of the rings and john williams so i'm uh deep in, I, there's no way absolutely at all you could tell that i was doing a podcast about christopher nolan or or just deep <laughs> into movies this year clearly not at all <laughs> from from all this so um, yeah, that was my Spotify rant. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, mine was, uh, my, my top songs were all from either six, the musical, uh, Olivia Rodrigo or Paramore. So, uh, vastly different, but also why I think my second or no, my third top artist, uh, was Daniel Pemberton. And then the fifth one was, uh, MM Kiravani, the, uh, person who did the score for RRR. So I've been, I found a playlist on that and just would listen to that on repeat at work. But for those of you who listen to us, uh, some Spotify wrapped info for y'all, we have 25 uh, listeners who put us in your top fan section. So we were one of your top podcasts. So if that was you, uh, DM us or send us an Instagram message or something, let us know. Uh, We would like to thank you. A lot of y'all picked us up right as Oppenheimer was coming up, which is what I thought would happen. Uh, So the episode 24, the American Prometheus and Day After Trinity episode, as we were preparing for Oppenheimer, uh, was the top episode by far of the entire year. But the one that was most shared was Inception. So all you guys love some some dreams within a dreams here. But yeah, thank you. That's good news for Jay for being honest on it. So. Yeah, so picked yeah. our spot pretty well. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you guys for everyone uh, who has been listening so far and sticking with us. We appreciate y'all, and uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, nothing else to add. Really, just all the thanks, and we're still like really appreciative and grateful that that people listen to this. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well. Let's do the thing. Let's talk about it. Oppenheimer, 4K on physical media, on, on 4K disc, on Blu-ray, on DVD. I saw, I was walking through Target today <laughs> and they had all three of them lined up. We both got the Best Buy Steelbook Edition uh, because we're uh, we're elitists and everything. <laughs> and, yeah. But the um, all the you, releases... They still had them at Target today though? Like the, the actual just DVD Blu-rays? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and that's how I was able to check oh, and confirm... Okay that all the special features that uh, we watched are on all the physical releases. So okay, even okay. if you didn't get the Steelbook edition, and even if you didn't get the 4K, you should be good. 
to see everything that we're going to talk about. Because I had seen some tweets and some news items that the disc was like, it was sold out everywhere. Like people couldn't get it. And like, I know that it was back ordered on Amazon for a lot of people uh, to the point where Universal had to like make new discs. Because uh, I think they, part of it is it was such a popular movie that everyone wants to own it. But I also think that they severely underestimated how much they should print at first. So, right. Um, which is, I guess, in a way, good news. Yeah. Yeah. To help, help them know that like for, for the right movie. If you if you do good work, people will will want to own the good work. If you build it, they will come. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I did. I saw there's a whole solid set right in a row. The 4K Blu-ray and DVD, um, plenty at the at the Target uh, close to where I live. So in the Austin area. So if uh, nice, if you're anywhere in this area and you were wanting to try and go buy somewhere and find that Target, you might be in luck. Sweet, sweet, sweet. But yeah, you did a really cool uh, unboxing video uh, of the actual Steelbook. Uh, and so if you guys want to take a look at our Instagram for that, it's up there. But um, if you would like to describe what that was like a little bit, what it looks like. Um, yeah, I, I channeled all of my uh, influencer atoms <laughs> in my body and just put it all into that. I've never created a reel before, but it went, it went pretty well. Um, so the, the Best Buy Steelbook is made by the the company that makes all the steel books and obviously uh <laughs> this is such a great <laughs> description you know everyone knows what it's like. um it has like a matte finish which i say that because i know some steel books are like really, really glossy and like pick up fingerprints and i know that plenty of people don't like that um so i, I like i pressed my finger <laughs> and I repeatedly be like okay yeah this is like it's not a glossy one i'm not even seeing the reflection of my fingerprint here on this so so that's pretty good that's a little matte finish and uh, like compared to the Across the Spider-Verse steelbook that I got earlier this year, like that one's just s smooth all the way across the packaging. But on Oppenheimer, they uh, embossed the title. It's uh, it's stamped into the cover. And on the on the reel, I said, like reverse embossed. And then like literally as, as I was just talking, I was like, oh, it, it, it's <laughs> stamped in there. <laughs> so there's my... Uh, making things too complicated language if you watch that reel it's it's just stamped in there and and goes in and doesn't it's not raised it's it's imprinted so uh that was just a nice little detail um but has the uh just the cover is like the movie poster uh the the movie poster version of killian murphy as oppenheimer standing in front of this mass conflagration behind him and that's it and with the movie title at the bottom and it wraps around the whole package and has just, you know, on the back is just fire as well, continuation of that fireball. So uh, very cool. Then you open it up, you have the 4K disc on the left side, you have your Blu-ray discs with the feature and the special features on the right side, and you take them out. And on the inside is uh, the shot of uh, Oppenheimer in the movie. Uh, at the moment, the Trinity test, uh, is detonated and the the lights about to really flash in and uh white everything out so uh nice little package very cool that's nice uh that yours arrived intact and beautiful uh mine yes uh, so looks, devastated mine Dear looks nice you. but also the the spine was like cracked on it uh when it arrived uh because best buy does not believe in uh, putting pads in boxes with stuff. They just slapped that thing in a mailer bag and with a tiny little bit of bubble wrap and called it good. 
Um, so I, I wrote a nice little one star review on Best Buy, but like, if you look at the product tag for this thing on Best Buy, like all of the reviews are like one or two stars, not because of the movie, but because of the way that they packaged it and shipped it. Uh, and of course the steelbook is all sold out. So there's no way to really like get a return on it unless you send it back. And then who knows if you're going to actually get anything soon. So I just sucked it up and like, I put the discs in a protective like cd case uh thing and have just closed the steel box closed up the steel book box and are just gonna keep it that way indefinitely um and got my digital copy of it so that's fine um but uh sad that best buy is no longer going to carry physical media starting next year but if this is the way that they're going to roll out like the biggest physical media release of the year maybe it's good that they're not in that business anymore so uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, that was also some news I heard in the intervening months, and I was just yeah, really just devastated, disappointed. Um, saw their CEO's reasoning for it, and I think it's a bunch of a bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah. So, like the the one closest to my house was doing renovations over the summer, and I went in to like look for something for a birthday gift uh, for my mom, and like the area where the DVDs used to be, it was just like gone. And so I was like, well, where'd they move them? It was a tiny little kiosk, like right at the front of the store next to customer service. And that was it. So they're, they've been phasing them out a lot recently, but just yeah. still sad. Yeah. And end of an era and yeah. really disappointing. Um, I mean, I have memories like growing up, going to the Best Buy and just remembering how, how like huge all the aisles for all the movies mm-hmm. were and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're not even continuing sales online. It's that, that's the more absurd thing to me. Like, okay, maybe you're, you know, real estate's expensive and you mm-hmm. want to change what the storefronts are like, but you're like, you're not even offering them online. Like, come on. Yeah. That's dumb. That just, it's, I don't know. It's doesn't make sense to me. And I, I, uh, <laughs> But to find somewhere else um, outside of that to look up all the all the sites that everyone gets their steelbooks from when it's not a Best Buy exclusive because I know there's like is it Grove? Um, oh, I don't even know. Yeah, not, I'm yeah, sure there's so. lots of. I, I I do think it's. I don't know if I was talking to you or talking to someone up here about it, but like I do think it's going to become like vinyl or something where like right. the 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 medium is like almost going to die out before it's saved by hobbyists and niche people and then it's gonna like find its own little comeback spot and then it's gonna be cool again but i feel like we're on the like the down valley slope of that one right now but we're the keepers of the flame jake yeah we gotta keep it all <laughs> did you see that thing from guillermo del toro where he's like we're literally like keeping history if you own physical media and i was like see taylor see i oh it, it's history up here you see what i'm talking about yep she, yep and she was like mm, sure uh, <laughs> yeah i'm back on I'm back on and having to. I'm like a librarian. I'm preserving. Exactly. Yeah. I'm preserving. It's like Fahrenheit 451 up in here. Uh. Yeah, I am. I am Oppenheimer. That's that's me. Um, I am the uh, like the uh, Library of Babel, except uh, (laughs) yeah. Um. Well, I let's let's actually talk about what's on the things. I guess. Um, Instead of yelling at the clouds. Yeah. Um, so it comes with, uh, seven featurettes on like the making of the movie. 
there's uh, some trailers. I think the the actual IMAX trailer is featured on here too, if you want to watch that. Mm-hmm. An NBC documentary that has Nolan in it as a talking head uh, that's about Oppenheimer and the creation of the bomb. And there's also a little featurette about uh, IMAX and how they developed um, film for this release, uh, in addition to the little making up featurette about IMAX. And there is also, what else what am I missing? The Meet the Press Q&A. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, Chuck Todd did a Meet the Press thing with uh, Christopher Nolan, Kip Thorne, Kai Bird, uh, the current head of Los Alamos, and... Is an Italian physicist. Is I didn't there. quite catch his name. The other phys- Yeah, the other physicist that uh, helped uh, teach Nolan things along with yeah. Kip Thorne. And they, and they didn't um, put up people's names on it, superimposing yeah. titles on it. So I was like, okay, I didn't quite catch that. And I only watched it once. Um, I'll go back and uh, we'll maybe we'll try to, to link it and put his name in the show notes, but, uh, and the Los Alamos director as well. But, but that's who it was. <laughs> yeah. So a pretty, that's, and all in all, this is like almost three full hours of bonus features along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, just i don't know it's it's so nice to see stuff like this again like i mean we've talked about you know like we we've both talked on this before about like our love for the lord of the rings dvds and like how those like really opened us up to like how you actually make a movie and all the cool things that like you would never think of behind the scenes that has to happen in order to make a movie and this doesn't get quite into that level because like what dvd release does but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very it's much more informative than a lot of stuff is these days. Uh, and Nolan has gone on the record saying like how even for the the actual home release of the the film itself, he was like, yeah, we like painstakingly went through every frame to make sure that like even though we released it on IMAX seventy millimeter, you can get the same sound and visual experience just by watching the Blu ray because we were really mindful of how we compress the sound and the image and everything. Like he's very careful about it and then he was like we did this so that you can always own it and no streaming service can no evil streaming service can ever take it away from you uh, so. that's that's why he's that's why he's our guy yeah you know yeah um <laughs> so it's i haven't actually watched the blue the blu-ray portion of it yet for the movie uh because i wanted to like sit down and do it all at once but the blu-ray features like the stuff on that they looks great sounds great yeah, everything's yeah. wonderful so far. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I was able to watch the 4K disc showing Haley for the first time, and finally getting to see it myself a second time. And it, I mean, I can confirm it's it's magnificent. It looks great. Um, <laughs> it it sounded great too. Even on uh, on the TV we have uh, in the bedroom that we watched it on, we just have the TV speakers. We don't have a, a sound bar or anything, but it still sounded uh, really good. Dialogue. A little touch and go, but we had the subtitles on. Uh, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of yeah. like that in the theater for some portions, at least at the seventy millimeter one. So right, yeah, yeah, but still, yeah, it came through really well. Um, but not talking about the movie right now. Uh, I'll yeah. <laughs> put my thoughts into my letterbox review of you know that second <laughs> viewing. Um, but I guess kicking it off with uh, the trailers. You know, I, I watched all of them again, even though I've seen all of them before. You know, they had the the teaser they released in the summer of 2022 with the countdown with mainly just dialogue. Then the two trailers yeah. that we talked about on the show, 
uh, the IMAX trailer, which I was able to actually see in IMAX. Luckily, when I saw Across the Spider-Verse, they, they, they showed it at the Bullock Museum. Uh, and then they also put on there the first look, which was like the five minute uh, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like yeah. a music video because it had it was like a release of some of the original score, too. And uh, it was specifically cut together by Jennifer Lame, which is how you say her name. <laughs> I heard Nolan say her name in the special features, the editor, Jennifer Lane. Yeah, yeah. Which, man, like, man, imagine having that as your name, as being lame, but it's, good it's thing okay. She's not. Good thing she's, she's cool. She's absolutely the opposite. Yeah. Cool as hell. Yeah. Nominative determinism, not true for Jennifer Lane. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they put the first look in there, too, which um, I saw for the first time uh, while watching the live stream of the London premiere. Uh, and mm, they put that mm-hmm. on. And I saw that and it's like, all right, cool. And then it was on YouTube and watched it a couple of times before the movie was released here. So, um, you know, that's pretty nice. I'm already feeling a little bit of nostalgia for them. So it was, it was nice <laughs> that they were on there. Yeah. I love that. I did not get to see the, the IMAX, uh, trailer, uh, before the movie at all, but like seeing it now was, looks amazing. Even just on the TV that I have up here, that's not really that big. Like it looks great. Uh, right. But, and they so. did put it in the IMAX ratio for that. It was, um, you know, so you had the sidebars yeah. instead of anything letterboxed or full 16 by nine. So that was pretty nice. Um, it, it did show to me that I guess sometimes I thought watching like Nolan films on the TV when they do switch the aspect ratio, you know, for me, it doesn't bother me. I know some people don't like it, but I do have thought before maybe wishing like, oh, what if they like put the full IMAX ratio in there and put the sidebars on and then went back to like letterbox for the thing. So, yeah. The switch, seeing the switching in that, maybe, maybe wouldn't be so great. Maybe I, don't know, I have to see it to see what I think, but maybe gave me a little bit of pause and be no. made me happy for what we are able to have. But those were the trailers. Um, and then the next thing I watched was the the black and white film featurette where they talked to people from Photochem about creating oh, yeah. the sixty five millimeter. Um, that was black and white so film. fascinating. Yeah, it felt a little bit corporate PR-y. Because um, is this the... It's, it's okay. different from the one that, like, IMAX really... Do you remember there was, like, a five-minute thing that IMAX put out about how they had to... They made their own film stock and stuff? Yes, I think yeah, I, I believe so. And it, this was yeah. different from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you still have Hoyt Van Hoytema saying all the great things he's saying about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, man, it's great. It's just wonderful to hear that guy talk about about his work it's, it's so much fun um and they just talked to several technicians and experts and leaders from photochem about the whole process um is it weird to say that the way they like shot it and lit the the talking heads up look great because it did um and there were plenty of great little nuggets in there um i don't know if i need to watch it again because i don't know if i misunderstood something or did it, it sound to you like one of the big issues was not just not maybe making the film itself, but like for photochem getting the colors right when splicing the black and white film together with the color during the edit. Maybe that was the biggest that, takeaway I had. Yeah. From and the, the color timing and the, um, the bit where they were talking about, they had to splice it to like match digital up to the film part for like every single reel for everything that right was, yeah 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 that was crazy like just the, the level of of detail that went into this 
Yeah, yeah. Like when I and when I think about like having to match up all that stuff for film, and I think they talked about like having to bring in people who especially like are able to edit these things and splice them together because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people who know how to do that. And they interviewed one of the people who actually does it. They fly her in from France, get her ready, and like, okay, yeah, uh, she that's where she lives, and then she comes over to the U.S. to help do some of the splicing work uh, to 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 make the prints of the film. So that was that was pretty neat, um, and that one's about yeah about seven or eight minutes. Yeah, uh, nice so little, that was not too long. Nice little nugget. And then, what's the next one you want to talk about? Because the, the next three things I have here are, are like the bigger ones. The yeah, um, we can do the like the making of featurette stuff next. Yeah, uh, let's so do you it. can you can play them all, and then it runs as just like this like series of vignette stuff that lasts for about an hour. 15 hour 20 minutes or so but if you wanted to break it down individually it's seven segments and so you're going on everything from the actors to the score the editing the set design costume design historical stuff uh the imax cameras and then like the characters for everything like so each you know one focuses on a different thing um which was it was great. You got a lot of good talking head moments from so many different actors in this thing. Uh, Lots of Emma Thomas just, too, yeah. which is uh, yeah, cool to hear her talk about things, especially mm-hmm. since we t- just talked about her a lot while discussing the Nolan variations and going through all the movies. Um, but it's cool, like seeing her, like watching the special features and again to see her, her talk a lot because we didn't do the special features for any other movies really i didn't have time when we were going right. through yeah, yeah, this yeah. past year I'm, I'm sure she's on those plenty as well but um i hadn't been able to actually like get to see her talk about things uh before and this was it was nice to get her input and, and talking about things and she actually had like one of the best quotes of the whole thing um i'm gonna start of course right at the end she, she says you know talking about mm-hmm. how everyone came together and did all this crazy stuff and met all the time crunches and she's like there's nothing a film crew cannot do i'm just like yes yeah <laughs> that thing too the the um i can't remember if that was in the set design episode or if it was in the final one where it's kind of like wrapping everything up but the bit where they were talking about how they had to basically build that oval office set from scratch where yes. uh, Oppenheimer goes to meet Truman after the, the bomb yeah. gets dropped. And when he uh, gets his uh, medal of freedom at the end. Yeah. In, in that, the 60s with Johnson. They, they were saying like, yeah, like we did that scene, like it kind of smelled like wet paint and it was a little hot, but like you can't really tell on camera. And I, I just liked that it was a uh, Ruth, Ruth DeYoung, I think is her name. Who's the yes. set designer. She yeah, was like, design. yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure if uh, people on Reddit want to criticize me, they could find stuff to nitpick about, but we did the best with what we had or something. And, and like, they had five they days to do They it. had five days and like originally it was going to take them three days to get the thing out of storage. And they're like, we don't have three days. We have like, 24 hours to get this out of storage and then we have to build the whole thing and, and like fabricate it and like build things yeah. that they didn't have and because the original they had something else booked and that fell through like another set that yeah was already ready to go and the the time crunch they couldn't put it off like they said because gary oldman was coming in for just one day they had him contracted mm-hmm. for one day they had to have it ready or else there's gonna be a problem so you can almost the, feel ruth de young's like panic the, attack coming through the screen yeah <laughs> And the like, uh, 
because the, and they were fortunate enough to like have a set that was like already packed away from some other movie on the universal lot and i was like oh yeah you can just use this but we got to figure right. it out um but like yeah we talked earlier in another episode about how uh nolan shifted the production schedule to adjust the amount of shooting days to where they shot in less than less time than they needed to give De Jong more time to actually create the sets and that yeah. showed here a lot in that uh, that little episode where they were talking about how they basically they didn't create all of Los Alamos, but they created enough to film around it, and like they had all the miniatures and stuff to show where they like what they wanted to do. Um, right. But just yeah, the the palpable tension was like, I don't know if this is gonna work, and then they did the whole thing and. Nolan walks in and just like, oh, this looks good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's ready for him. He's like, all right, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and that's really the, <clears throat> this was the thing I watched just like right before we set up to record this. So I was notes wise, I was just like tapping up a couple of things about <laughs> great moments that uh, struck me. And maybe one of my, maybe one of my favorite things from a personal, like maybe like we get to brag about it for us standpoint is, um, I think I noted before in one of our like preview episodes of Oppenheimer uh, about how I saw that clip of like the movie theater marquee at Los Alamos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And double indemnity was on the marquee. Well, in this, mm. Ruth DeYoung actually like mentions that and gives the detail of like, oh, and and then Chris picked the movie's names to put up there on the marquee. I was like, oh, including double indemnity. Mm-hmm. He picked the films for that theater marquee. Yes. Like perfect synergy for us since we watched double indemnity i i felt so good it was a it was a nice feeling uh. <laughs> i also liked the in the actors segment it, it was just it felt like it was such just a like collegial environment like everyone like obviously they wanted to be there everyone loves working with nolan who has worked with him pretty much and everyone was just like raving about what a great time it was. But I think my favorite quote from that whole feature out on the actors was uh, Alden Ehrenreich <laughs> sitting there and just being like, it's great. <laughs> like I, I get to come to work every day and it's great. And like, you're just around so many great people and it's a great learning experience and blah, blah, blah. And then he just goes, it's great that I don't have to fucking lie about this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like what happened to you <laughs> on the set of Solo and like <laughs> being spit out through the Star Wars machine? to to make you because like the he his uh, he just has such a great performance in this movie and just like a i don't know like it should be a bigger star than he actually is but like it's nice to see him just kind of like be able to cut loose a little bit maybe this is entryway much the same uh, uh, with nolan as as killian murphy got in batman begins maybe he'll be they're going forward and one day he'll get his big star turn in a a nolan film who knows i hope Um, so but speaking of Star Wars, I had a thought from one of the things Matt Damon said about uh, the the practical effects and getting everything in camera. Um, mm-hmm. He said something to the effect of like, I think it just it, I, I like this better or I think it's more impressive that or, that we're doing this. And he said, like, people think this is all going to like these methods are going to go away. But I like I don't think so, because. You know, like it's just so cool to do it live but basically he, he sort of said like you know you have your volume and everything like that these green screens and stuff but just like this gives you something you cannot you just can't replicate with those tools and so i was like oh he scuppered his chances of ever appearing in any star wars dissing the volume <laughs> feloni and favreau aren't gonna come calling anytime soon um but yeah just when talking about the practical effects and the 
special effects. Getting getting a look at finally how they did it um, was was really great. Like that's the kind of stuff I live for. Those are kind of the, the the types of behind the scenes features that I like really hooked me when I was growing up with Lord of the Rings and the all the Star Wars, the prequels especially. You know, say you can have whatever you know feelings you want about the actual movies, but the the behind the scenes stuff and the and the technical process of making those movies was so fascinating to me as a kid. So those are always the things I like extra like seeing. And for this, since it isn't just like giant green screens everywhere. And the fact that these days in, in this day and age of movie making that they're doing practically everything in camera is just mind blowing. And then and then we got to see the like the explanation in like five seconds of how they did the Trinity test, the uh, the visual, uh, the, the, the uh, special effects producer, Scott Fisher, I think uh, he's like, yeah, it was just what well, is like basically a few gallons of gasoline, a couple of mortars. <laughs> Kind of like the Joker in the Dark Knight, what he uses to to, to sow terror and chaos. It's like okay, yeah, yeah. and we just Let's timed everything again. right, and we shot, make sure it shot up, and that's how we got the mushroom cloud. It's like oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> just an engineering problem. <laughs> yeah, and especially the the bit where they're talking about how they're they're filming all the effects in camera, especially for what's going on in Oppenheimer's mind when he's thinking of the like the fission and fusion reactions, uh, kind of like at the beginning when he's thinking his great thoughts for lack of a better term yeah the, the, the can you hear the music scene where he's you know throwing glasses at the wall and he's doing his equations and everything and then the like the light particles and everything they just like took a camera and zoomed in on like some light moving around like it looks computer generated but it was all done in camera which i thought was like i had heard but i was like well how are you doing that and then yeah seeing that yeah. was was really cool and yet and also being able to do it in IMAX was the thing too for them and then they talked about having the was it Panasonic to help them make the lens that uh, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. really thin lens there that was able to zoom in and Hoyta van Hoyta was like it's like a you know a colonoscopy kind of thing and you're giving able to get in there that close and yeah it's like, it's like memorable metaphor <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh but able to get yeah right up close be able to like immerse it in water and do crazy things with it uh yeah. so which, I mean, I don't know if we really talked enough about those intercuts of that world that they talked about, but I, th- I mean, that's, it's a relatively small, fleeting visual element of the film, but absolutely vital, you know, with all the the particle things they did and um, some of the very quick cuts to show, like, when they're talking about, like, oh, here's this type of, you know, way to detonate an atomic bomb, you know, the, the gun assembly and the implosion, and they have those, so... It's just all those little things that add up and all those details. And that's what uh, I mean, that's that's why I love these features. Anyway, I'll, I'll <laughs> try to get some more substance. Uh, but um, see, the only other two things I had about this were when Ruth DeYoung was talking about the philosophy of the production design and getting all the historical things right. She was like, <clears throat> and a few other people were like, we tried to focus in on like some like very important details but we weren't painstakingly trying to recreate everything like totally 100 perfect as it was you know like of course it looks great and it you know you can compare photographs say of like oppenheimer's speech at los alamos um outside with like all the bunting and stuff um like okay it looks the same maybe they didn't get everything perfectly in there but that was like a choice because it was about getting the she said i think said something to the effect of getting the feel of it right that you're actually there instead of 
right, creating right, a documentary, right, right. basically. And mm-hmm. for me, here's my uh, token Nolan Variations quote here. Um, <laughs> tying it to early in the Nolan Variations when Tom Schoen is quoting Nicholas Rogue, who is, I think, speaking about Memento, um, saying, like, Nolan captured the way memory actually works with the, yes, it was exactly like that, but also not at all. So... I thought that was pretty cool to that was like the design, the production design philosophy on the film kind of uh, brought that quote from Nicholas Rogue to me from the Nolan Variations. I thought it was pretty cool. Like this history was exactly like this, but also not quite like it. Like It's our right, interpretation right. of the history. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes that like the interpretation kind of looks more real than the the real thing you know exactly and then like how memory works on an individual level and then i guess it's taking into mm-hmm. that like cultural mm-hmm. level too with how they made this like here's our interpretation of this cultural memory of this massive historical thing that happened so yeah like i really like that uh honestly ruth young like i could i was very fascinated like maybe the mvp of these for me loki um of, of this one yeah her and uh and I wanted them to focus to talk more to Jennifer Lame about everything, but the, yes. the few quotes that she did have, I was fascinated. Her and DeYoung were the two that I was that I wanted to hear the most from because absolutely, she, Lame had a thing about um, like finding the through line in editing and like trying to make sense of everything and th- pinning everything to like emotional points. And I was like, oh, that makes sense because like, how would you? Like the we read the script and we read the screenplay and so like there's a through line there obviously, but just keeping track of all of this and like the timelines and the uh, everything I don't know editing fascinates me so much with with people <laughs> like yes yes yeah um the other thing before we move on to the the NBC documentary the big thing that I took away from the making of featurette was the final little vignette thing where they were all just kind of talking about the experience. I felt like there was a lot of similarities in the way that the whole crew talked about Nolan and how a lot of the Los Alamos crew talked about Oppenheimer in the movie, but like, especially in the book, once the, they get into the quotes about day-to-day life and like how he actually ran the place um, there, I've seen a lot of like metaphorical takes on this movie as being kind of, Oppenheimer's look at like, Oh God, I created the modern superhero movie. What have I done? What is, what will become of the film industry whatever, like analyzing it on that type of textual level, which I don't think that's what he was trying to do at all, but like that it's an interesting read. And so he, he, in this, he talked about like, yeah, I wanted to kind of have like a different genre mishmash of like the first section I wanted to have, like, a bit of a, a thriller biopic thing coming yeah. of age. And then the second part was going to be like, we're going to get the band together and it's going to be a heist film. So we're going to get the team going. And then the final act is going to be a courtroom drama, but there's also some horror. There's some thriller, some romance, some Western all kind of thrown in there together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like, you could read that as like the, if, if you wanted to take that high level, like, Oh, it's about him. Oh no, I made the superhero movie genre. And you can take that as like a, this is another movie kind of like inception about a man creating something like how inception is read as like making the act of making a movie itself. And so then you could read this as like Nolan is the, the Oppenheimer figure who might not do everything, but like knows how to command everyone to do everything and kind of knows where to put each person and 
knows how to get the best out of everyone. And so they were all just kind of like reverently talking about him as if he was like a figurehead or something like <laughs> to try and to get all this and like pull all this off, which is, I mean, if you're a director, you need that kind of inspiration and that loyalty from your people. But I just thought that was really fascinating that like in making this movie about um, a guy who arguably one of his greatest strengths was his ability to, to delegate and to figure out who should go where in order to make the the team better. They're yeah. saying that about that. Cause like that's, you know, half the job as a director, as a manager is anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so like they were saying all these like things about him I was like, Oh, that's like pretty much exactly what they were saying about Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I thought that same thing as they were wrapping it up too. I mean, I don't have much to add to what you said cause you said it all perfectly. Um, but like I was drawing those parallels a little bit like more from the aspect of, it's kind of interesting. He's making a movie about this and then like all the stuff he tried to do for it. He had to coordinate all these efforts and try and yeah. do some things that hadn't been done before in his line of work. And right. Like the new film stock and the exactly the everything. Yeah. 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 So a good summation. And I'm glad you mentioned that as, as one of the last things talking about that one. Um, the, the very final thing that I have on it is uh, Tom Conti. <laughs> Absolutely oh I me. love that. I love that. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I love yes. that interview. <laughs> He's, uh, he was talking about being uh, dressed up as Einstein at the Institute for Advanced Study while they were shooting. And he said, like, there's some people just looking at me. So I just thought if someone came up to me and uh, you know asked who I was, I would just say, I'm Einstein. And I have come back. <laughs> 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 I was like, to, to, I've come back to, you know, <laughs> I, I planned this. I was like, oh, my God. Oh man, I I hope he was able to do that. But if he, oh man, even even him telling that joke, it killed me. I had to had to pause it for a second. Uh, but that was a great and the interview is like, did you ever think you would ever play Einstein? He's like, no. But then you put the mustache on, and it's yeah, I look like, like him. It's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, very satisfying uh, and and very good. So, uh, which of the last two should we talk about first? I do the NBC documentary first. All right, because because I I thought that was great. Um, it's called yeah. "To End All War: Oppenheimer and the Atomic Bomb," which and is also available uh, if you don't have the actual DVD. It's on Peacock, I believe. Uh, uh, I found that out yes. there. And I don't I don't know if this aired on NBC. Uh, one of the movies release. Um, I I know it was out just ahead of the movie because. Plenty of people had reviewed it on Letterboxd, say, um, and stuff. But anyway, it was it was out before Oppenheimer was released. And I think I may have seen, like, the post report or something pop up. I just didn't have time around that time. For, uh, you can imagine why. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, I thought I thought it was excellent. I didn't necessarily expect that at all. I thought kind of like, oh, I'm used to, like, yeah, like an, an NBC, a broadcast documentary produced like this. But, like. I don't know. It felt to me like some vintage History Channel shit, like before History Channel turned into a friggin' reality show and, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. cable uh, drama channel, um, like the actual like classic History Channel stuff, like the footage they had, the photos. They hired somebody to do illustrations for this, like to illustrate some of the scenes, um, the original music, the archive audio. They pulled out like, you know, like Leslie Groves, so you could hear his voice and like what he actually sounded like and Edward Teller yeah. and plenty of other people in addition to Oppenheimer, of course, even a little bit of the editing. They did a cut from one of the illustrations right into the archive footage. Like they didn't have to try so hard on this. 
<laughs> but they did. But they did, yeah. And this it is was like so great. It's it's prime. Uh, the the teacher's out for the day, and you have a sub, and we're gonna wheel in the TV, and you're gonna watch a movie in history class uh, material. And I say that as the utmost utmost compliment. Uh, like yeah, you don't really see that level of a a documentary about historical stuff anymore for educational purposes. Really, like I feel like you yeah. see a lot of it as like a we're gonna reevaluate it or. Uh, like a uh like a docuseries thing where like the actual like point of it isn't revealed until like the third episode or whatever like this is just very much straight up like here's a historical thing that happened we're gonna get some talking heads some footage some audio and you're gonna learn something it was great yeah another thing that like floored me too is like as it kept going i was like whoa they not only the interviews of the talking heads like nolan and kai bird um uh, yeah. is it is it Richard Rhodes is his name um, who apparently like I discovered recently is like one of the biggest experts on nuclear history he has like written s- several volumes and he's like this massive expert so I was like whoa they brought Bill Nye's in this um, yes Bill Nye's and stuff yeah. so but then they turn up and they're interviewing his grandson too which to me was like holy shit because in American Prometheus they didn't really talked to any of his family members because uh his his daughter died and his son peter didn't want to like be on the record like interviewing about this he, he pointed right. gave the materials and pointed them in the right direction with a bunch of stuff but he didn't want to be interviewed so yeah i was like whoa like we've basically for the whole thing it just expanded so well on what i already knew from reading the 700 page biography and even had some stuff in there that i didn't know about and it was so great i was i was just yeah. a goofy smile on my face the whole time watching this and i was like oh my god so i i loved it i thought it was yeah like if you can ha- it was just this great a great distillation of everything it was to like in a, as a documentary what what nolan's film was as the movie like and it like confirmed and reinforced all these details that nolan put in the movie too that Maybe I didn't, didn't remember from the book, but they like confirmed the details in the documentary. Like, oh, this was a thing that you put in there, and it wasn't just like a little um, poetic license thing. It was like, okay, yeah, uh, which I think Nolan mentioned maybe in the Meet the Press Q and A that we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, like I, I can't. Yeah, I, I was, I'm just gushing about it, but it's, um, it deepens my appreciation for the film even more. Um, it, it confirmed and reinforced the film in like a really amazing way. And I was very surprised by John Else, who is the director of The Day After Trinity that we watched for the podcast. He was interviewed <laughs> for this. And he, yeah. he had a, a fuck off. He literally said fuck <laughs> off. And it was like, whoa, like yeah. this is a, I didn't expect this in the NBC thing. Um, OK, cool. Like, I'm glad they didn't bleep it out. Um, so maybe this was just restraining. But anyway, the only false note that it struck for me was at the end when they were talking about like modern day, what the implications are in nuclear stuff. And the editing they do is depicting Russia and China as the big, scary nuclear threats, ignoring. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, like the U.S. and there has like a million nukes, too. Not necessarily that they ignored all the other nuclear powers like Pakistan and uh, Israel and India and the other European nations. But the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, China and Russia have the nukes. They're the big enemies. We got to watch those guys to make sure that, like, yes. But also maybe ignoring the fact that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like China's nuclear posture, whatever about the current country and 
you know, whether you trust them or not. But I think they're the only nuclear power that like whose posture has consistently always been ever since they became nuclear capable in the 60s is we are only going to use these for defense to defend ourselves. Whereas U.S. and Russia and some other countries are like, oh, no, we wouldn't rule out like first strike, you know. So, you know, so it's so a little bit of like, yeah, like pressing those those buttons there at the end. I was like, yeah, but it, it's all right. It's still totally excellent otherwise. And then the final one is the uh, Meet the Press panel with Chuck Todd, which I I enjoyed, but I I don't know. I feel like some of the questions were like, this is a great movie. How did you make such a great movie? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. So the panel is, uh, it's Nolan, Kip Thorne, Kai Bird, the current guy who's the head of uh, Los Alamos now, and then there's another physicist like we mentioned. And so it was a, a well-rounded panel about everything. I uh, I felt like a lot of the quotes and questions and stuff and like anecdotes that they told were stuff that we had heard before, really. Yeah. But we've also just been like in the deep end with this movie for like a year and a half. So uh, <laughs> if yeah, you have yeah. not been as obsessive as us, the, it probably is new to you. Um, but I did like the, uh, the little quip that Nolan has where someone or Chuck Todd was asking him about, you know, like people are complaining about spoilers for this movie, which I think is crazy. And then Nolan is just like, I mean, yeah, like whenever I, whenever people ask me that, I was like, well, you, there is Google, like these things happen, but like, <laughs> yeah. you can look up what happened here. Like, I'm not telling you anything new. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, the, and then the bit about why he did not include any images of the destruction that the bomb did which he's given interviews before in like print elsewhere that kind of hit on the same answer um, where he was like, yeah, like we wanted to be like sub as subjective in Oppenheimer's point of view as possible, which is why we didn't show it because he never saw that, um, right. which he said in other interviews before, but he also said something like, it's not my job as the, as the director or the artist to get too caught up in, like the reason why I did something, I just kind of have to go off of instinct, which kind of feels like, like fuddy duddy, like artistic bullshit to me a little bit, but, um, <laughs> but, his, but his reason does make but sense. It, but, like, his, but his reasoning, but, yeah, his reasoning yeah. makes sense. But like the, I, I just have to follow my, my muse and my instincts is kind of just like, eh, okay. But like the, the, then the reason that he gives to back it up later, we're like, no, I wrote this to be his point of view. So therefore he wouldn't have known like, that is true. That backs it up. I mean, yeah, it rings totally um, true. He wrote the script in the first yeah, person for crying yeah. out loud. So yes, yeah. it absolutely. Yeah. Was about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he has a little bit more of a, a quote that expands on that there, but the rest of it I felt was just kind of like, a. you remember when you made that movie? That was awesome. type thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, it was fine. And uh, I mean, I, I did like it. Um, it. It felt like it packed a lot into relatively brief time like i checked before i started is like 35 minutes long i was like okay but it, it felt like they just kept going and going i was like all right cool like they, they put a lot in here even though even though some of it might have been maybe a little bit empty calories but i did think it was maybe yeah for anybody who wasn't as plugged in as we were through the whole um release cycle of this movie and reading as many interviews as we could inhale it was a good distillation of some of the themes he was discussing consistently and like his fascination with oppenheimer's story 
like kind of the background hum of nuclear weapons that we have to deal with existing. And then also like about accountability and AI tying it to today. So um, I thought that was really good. Uh, and then and Chuck Todd, God bless him. Um, he said he's he's like tried to tie like the AI discussion in with like no not using CGI and like generating and like things I'm like, no, man, those aren't the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I think you got a little too excited here, buddy. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but but it was it was it was good overall, and I, I mean definitely worth checking out. So there, there's nothing on the disc that I wouldn't recommend. So <laughs> so yeah, you can take whichever approach you like. You can you can get the the DVD. You can maybe wait till some of the things go on sale. You know, if you just want to be able to see things for cheaper. Um, I'm sure someone's gonna has already posted them on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> if you you want to see them and, and save a little bit of money, you know, with this economy. Um, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I may still encourage you to buy the uh, the physical release for for all the the philosophical reasons I have behind it. But um, you know, it, yeah. it's out there. It's, I'm sure it's, it's all it. out there. It's now. worth it yeah. for sure. Um, I'm sure they'll release like another version of it at some point. We were talking earlier about like things that we wish that were on this disc. I would love an audio commentary uh, from Nolan, maybe one from yes. Killian Murphy and like some more of the cast members. I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember the last time Nolan actually did a commentary for one of his movies, but I think that would be, that'd be fascinating just to, although I don't know what more he would have to say about it that he hasn't already said in some of the featurette stuff, but like just getting sure. like a, in the moment, like, Oh, this is how we shot this. This is how we filmed this type thing would be pretty fun. Exactly. Exactly. Just like you never know what can pop up as you're watching and you just, and you just think of it. So, yes, that was the thing I would ask for if I could, if I had such power. And also, maybe not until you actually mentioned it, I think like, oh, yeah, like an editing feature. Like, please give me something specifically about the editing and a little more detail mm -hmm. of, I think, how Nolan talked in one of the, the interviews leading up to the release um, in July of. Um, like how he went through with Jennifer Lame and they did character passes through the whole film, like multiple times to make sure everyone's getting like stuff like that. Like more details if we can, please. That'd be cool to be like in the editing room or something. But, you know, who knows if they even got footage from that. But, you know, yeah. that's OK, because I, I mean, would would not surprise me if it was nominated for editing at the Oscars. Um, oh, give her the Oscar but, now, in my yeah. opinion. You know, <laughs> I have it. You know, I'm going to try and see as many Oscar-nominated films as I can this year um, for, you know, be able to speak knowledgeably on things. But dang, that's such a good job. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel almost like the making of was like a almost a, a little bit of a four-year consideration. And I'm already feeling like if Definitely. I had a vote, I'd be given yeah. a to this movie yeah. by now. <laughs> give, it, give it costume, set, everything. Like... Yeah. Score, yeah, yeah. yeah. Give it all, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't even really talk about, like, the score portion. I did not know that was his wife doing part of the violin. Like, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, man, yeah. Um, good good special features, um, a good good package. Um, definitely, you could tell some, some thought went into this because it really enhanced the experience of the film for me and uh, mm -hmm. taught me more things that I didn't know. And, you know, both, both about the filmmaking process and about the history of it. So, um, very well done, very well done. Just, uh, I guess the only complaints we have are, uh, you know, be more gentle with your packaging best buy. What the hell? Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> treat, treat it nice. Treat it like it's a, 
<laughs> like it's a bomb that could go off the oh, trans <laughs> that you need to transport very carefully, like the way that they transported it in the truck mm-hmm. midway through this movie. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh which one was so your favorite I, one, by the way? Um, I think either the not the the IMAX standalone one, but the one in the making of featurettes about IMAX and like the way that they had to like splice the camera together and get different levels of film and how the like, you know, very first day they had to call up Kodak Chrome and be like, Hey, can you do this? Like, and they're like, yeah, maybe. Uh, And then they were, I also just liked the Matt Damon interview on that segment where he (laughs) talks about uh, Van Hoytman. He was like the Dutchman, the Dutchman strong. He's carrying Mm, that IMAX (laughs) camera and he's, he's a strong man and he can find the frame. He's good. And I was just like, Oh, that's funny. Like I can totally see him. Just like the Dutchman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I really liked that one just because I had been, I saw some of the featurettes before the movie about that, but I didn't really understand the specifics of what they exactly had to do. And then that one kind of shed a little bit more light on it. And that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If if no one could tell mine was easily the NBC (laughs) documentary that they did uh, on the actual history of the thing. So, uh, yeah, I said, I said so much, maybe too much about it already, but I really enjoyed (laughs) that and I'll definitely be revisiting it. Yeah, same. I'll probably be watching the just for some of the talking head stuff alone. Great quotes from people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there, there, there's no letterbox reviews to really do this time. No, nah, as really. it is to say. Although you can log both the the making of documentary and the um, to end all war documentary on Letterbox if you so choose, just to have it for your records. <laughs> yes, yes. I always uh, try to look to see if any of the uh, any of my dvd extras are on letterbox because i'm i'm totally addicted now i upgraded my subscription <laughs> even i'm just a full-on letterbox freak now um <laughs> so um this this episode is choose your own letterbox review choose your own adventure <laughs> uh, you can go look it up and see what's out there and where can people find us jake uh you can still find us at friends at dusk pod on instagram and at friends at dusk on twitter uh we're going to start posting a little bit more as oscar season ramps up uh, you can email us at friends at duskpod at gmail.com and you can find me still on Instagram and Twitter at Jake Harris four and on letterboxd at 808 Jake underscore. And what about you, Marshall? I'm still on Instagram at marshall.doig on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Marshall Doig <laughs> and on letterboxd at M Doig. So uh, please, you know, still, we're still going uh, and we're still uh, with, with this as well as, keeping uh, just some low level pulses um, for some other future endeavor, like we discussed on our mm-hmm. previous episode yeah. um, to like and subscribe, uh, leave us that five-star rating that we always ask for. Cause everything's gotta be five stars. You're either, you're either one or five. There's no in between in, in the room exactly. for, for stuff like this today, you know, whether you're a new driver or whatever. Um, so on Apple podcast or Spotify or wherever you can rate uh, and you can support us on our Spotify podcast page if you so choose as well. Uh, yeah. And thank you once again for everyone who listened uh, and showed up in our Spotify wrapped this year. Thank you for all of our top fans. Um, you can find our list of all the resources and things we watched, other cool things like that in the show notes. And yeah, yeah. We, we don't have any, um, 
we don't have any prizes or, or giveaways for if if you we were in your um, sadly no. wrapped but uh if you if you contact us somehow um we we swear we'll check that email account we we do um <laughs> and uh we will um we'll we'll, we'll name you we'll, we'll give you a shout out on the next time because we will be around next time yes yeah 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 because next time what are we doing jake uh next time on friends at dusk we are going to be checking in uh after all the oscar nominations are announced and those usually happen it's the end of november right now those usually happen kind of like early january so we'll be back then it's been a heavy favorite for a lot of categories um so i don't know what exactly all is it's going to be nominated for but i'm sure it's going to be big uh just like everything for this movie so far it's almost at a billion worldwide too. So I'm sure they're going to put it back right. in theaters and all that fun stuff. So we'll see, I'll, but yes, I'll rattle it off right now. Let's see. Um, I think, uh, I'm, I'm just going to go really bold. It'll be nominated for best picture, best picture. director, best actor, Kelly Murphy, best supporting actor, um, best supporting actress. I'll say for Emily Blunt. Um, what else have we got? Screenplay. I, I didn't say that already, uh, which would be adapted. And then, mm-hmm. uh, what we got technical categories, best visual effects for sure um score score sound mixing i'll say it editing production design mm, don't know about costumes and know how the academy feels about that but i don't know how many did i just list like at least 11 or 12 yeah that's that that's my story could very it. well be like a return of the king situation um yeah yeah so yeah i mean i mean we'll see what the competition's like i haven't seen killers of the flyer moon yet i want to um but i mean raves about that as well and so, I mean, I don't know if I don't think Oppenheimer we get a clean sweep of everything, but it, it's, I think it's certainly going to rack up the nominations. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll be there with some analysis on that about what it does get nominated for. And then uh, if and when it does win anything on Oscars night, we'll have something up uh, shortly with that. We might have to bring um, Jay back for, for that with uh, with his oh, uh, yeah, Oscar obsession Oscar for stuff. sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll check in and see what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I think I think that's uh, that's that's good for us here. That'll do it. We will see you next time on Friends at Dusk. With hopefully I've got my, my normal voice back, but I made it through. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll be back. And thanks again for listening. Thanks. Bye.